Uh, I, I want to read a scripture to you this morning out of Second Chronicles 20, verse 12. If you have a Bible app or a Bible, an actual paper Bible, you can open that and look at this, or you can watch the screens. It says, O God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. The title of my sermon today is, What Are You Looking At? If you would, uh, let's pray before we get started here today. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for each person that is in this room and everyone under the sound of my voice today, God. I know that they're not here by accident, that you have ordained it for such a time as this. Father, I pray that the words spoken today would be rhema, that they would minister to our hearts and they would do the work they were set out to do. God, I pray that no one would leave this place without having a, a touch from you today, an encouragement and a challenge in each one of our lives to live for you and to keep our eyes fixed on you. We ask it in Jesus' name and amen. So how many of you know that life is about seasons? Amen. Life is absolutely about seasons. There's a time for sowing and there's a time for reaping. And uh, we all go through seasons in our lives. Uh, we just finished the NBA season that culminated with a beautiful thing where my hometown Cavs won the title. That was a wonderful thing. Yeah, there's one other happy person in here. Uh, and uh, we're about to start the NFL season real soon. All the men in the house usually get excited for that. But, uh, you know, those seasons end. They all end. And uh, I, I have the privilege, with, with the position I'm in here at the church, I have the privilege of talking and meeting with so many people on a regular basis. I feel like the, the majority of, of what I do here, I feel like it's just talking to people and relating and, and, uh, and, and hearing their heart and, and just getting to, to know people better in this church and, and in our community. And I love it. It's, uh, it's what drives me. And, but something I've noticed over the last few weeks to even a couple months is that it feels like most of the people that I talk to are going through a season in their life right now where they feel like they're almost at the end of their rope. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand if this is you, but how many of you feel like you're in a season right now where you feel like you're about at the end of your rope? I know that's a lot of us. It, it seems to be a common theme right now. And I just want you to know that if that is where you are, I'm gonna make a statement that may shock you or some of you, but if that is where you are today, you are exactly where God wants you to be. He wants us to be at the end of our rope because, because hanging on to the rope symbolizes or, or signifies the fact that we are doing things in our own strength. And what I'll show you today through the word and through some study is that the last thing God wants us to do is do things in our own strength. Amen. The reason Jesus came and died for each one of us so that, was so that we didn't have to do things in our own strength is so that he could be our strength for us. And so when we get to the end of our rope, that is exactly where God wants us to be. And that verse that I shared with you a minute ago, out of, out of Chronicles, that was actually uh, King Jehoshaphat. He was talking, because what happened with them is that they, he got to the end of his rope. Uh, and let me set up the story for you a little bit. They were, he was the king of Judah at the time, and they'd actually experienced some peace for a little while. And he got word that there were three armies coming after him that were gonna come all at the same time and they were, they were set out to destroy him and his people. And Jehoshaphat was not prepared for that because uh, they, they just weren't equipped to deal with that kind, of a, that kind of an attack. And so he cried out to God and said, God, I don't know what to do. We're not, we're not equipped to, to fight this army. Now, envision if you would, if you were at home, let's say you're home this afternoon and you're watching your favorite TV show or you're watching something and all of a sudden your show gets interrupted with this special news bulletin and all of a sudden you see our president sitting in the Oval Office in his chair addressing the nation. And he says something like, 
my fellow Americans, I have some bad news. There are three large countries with large armies that are gearing up to attack us and uh, they're coming at us and we are not equipped to fight against them and I don't know what to do. And then that was the end of the bulletin. That, that, I, would, I don't have to tell you that would not go well, amen? Uh, we would be the laughing stock of the world, first of all, and there'd be a lot of anger and uh, the president would probably be removed from his office that after, this afternoon. Um, but that's basically what King Jehoshaphat did. He, he stood before, this wasn't a prayer he prayed in his closet, his prayer closet. This was in front of the whole, all the people of Judah, the whole country was there and he was praying to God saying, God, we don't know what to do. But, but the reason that Jehoshaphat is spoken of in good terms and that he's considered a, one of the good kings that, that Judah had and Israel has had is that there's that last line he said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And that is exactly where God wanted them to be. And see, God is, is more concerned about getting us to get our eyes on him than he is about making sure we get everything we want. And see, Jehoshaphat knew the promise that God had given Israel. Amen. We know, we know from reading the scriptures that, in, that, that when God made the promise to Abraham that you were going to be the father of a nation, he told him that, uh, that your descendants were going to outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore and that everyone that blesses you is going to be blessed. Everyone that curses you is going to be cursed. And Jehoshaphat knew that, that they, were, they were held in, as slaves in Egypt for years and generations. And then God delivered them out into the promised land where they were right now. So, so Jehoshaphat knew the promise. And he knew that God was faithful to his promise. He just didn't know what to do. And so what Jehoshaphat was doing here was he was saying, okay, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And what he was saying is, I'm not going to focus on the problem. I'm going to focus on the promise. And I want to ask you that today, church. Are you focused on your problem or on the promise? Because see, every one of us has a promise from God too. Some of you here would say, you remember when God spoke to you, maybe recently, maybe years ago, he spoke to you a word. Maybe you're reading the Bible one day and something jumped out at you and you just knew it was for you. And you were, you've hung on to that word. You know that's a promise God has for you, but maybe you're not seeing it right now in your life because maybe you're going through some stuff. You have some situations, you're in a season of, of turmoil or you're in a season of hardship. And so you're not seeing that promise, but we've all got a promise like that. Maybe somebody spoke a prophetic word over you one day. Or, or more than once. And you're hanging on to that. You have that promise of God that, that you're not necessarily seeing the fruit of it today. Or maybe, maybe you've just, if you just read the word, you see that there are more promises in the word of God than we can count that are for all of us. And so we know God's promises is that he's going to be faithful to us, that he's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. And that we go through the fire, he goes with us. We have those promises, but it's up to us to choose whether or not we're going to focus on the problem or the promise. And God's heart for us is that we would focus on his promise because we know that there are going to be seasons where we go through tough times. You know, for you, maybe, maybe it's something in your past. Maybe you made a, some big mistakes that you're, you're constantly, your attention is constantly on those things because it just, the, the fruit of those mistakes just continually comes up in your life. Or maybe you have a past hurt that you just can't seem to forgive. You can't let go of, and it's, it's always there. It's always brewing. And right now, maybe it's, it's kind of the, the wound is a little fresher than normal and it's infected and you're having a hard time with it. Maybe it's something that's going on right now. Maybe you're having financial difficulties that you're having to deal with and you're focused on the problem. You're focused on those financial difficulties or a job situation or or uh, relationships. Maybe your marriage isn't at a, at a good place and you're, you're, you're focused more on the problem than you are about God's promise to you in that marriage. You know, maybe it's something, maybe it has to do with the, the turmoil in our world today. 
I mean, it's no lie, it's no joke that there's, there's a lot of stuff going on in our world. There's, it seems like there's a terrorist attack every day and there's political turmoil even in our own country. And there's, there's stuff going on that, 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 gets, that we can easily focus our heart and our mind on. And if we're not careful, we can get fixated on those things and our focus is not on God's promise, but it's on the problems that we have in our life. And I just wanna encourage you and challenge you today that for some of us or for all of us, it may just mean a simple, it, it may be as simple as just turning your eyes to Jesus and turning him away from your problem. Yeah. Now we're not ignoring our problems. We're not pretending they're not there. That's not what I'm saying today. Problems are real. If you got stuff going on in your life, it is real and ignoring it doesn't make it go away. Amen. Yeah. It's like when you got a, a noise, your car's making a noise, you turn the radio up so you don't hear it. The problem didn't go away. You're just, you're prolonging the inevitable that you're gonna end up behind a tow truck one day, right? So we're not ignoring it. We're not saying it doesn't exist. But what we're not doing is we're not focusing on it and saying, oh no, oh no, woe is me. And, try, and working at our own strength to try to fix the problems in our life. But what we're doing is we're turning our eyes to Jesus saying, okay, God, these problems are real and they're here. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. It's not on, they're not on the problem. Amen. So what I want to do today is I want to give you a few, uh, a few treasures, if you will, at the, that we find at the end of the rope. Three treasures at the end of the rope. And then I'm also going to give you three keys to winning the battles that we face. So the first treasure, I've already kind of touched on it, is it causes us to turn our eyes to him. I want to read the, the two verses preceding the verse that I read at the very beginning to show you what God is doing in this situation. Because God is bringing the, the, the children of Judah to the end of their rope. Watch this in verses 10 and 11. It says, And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let, the Isra- who you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. So this is Jehoshaphat praying to God. He's basically telling God, listen, when we came into this land out of Egypt, these are the three people that you told us not to touch. So these aren't people that are coming back to bite Judah because they didn't do something God told them to do. They were actually obedient to what God had said. You can look back in Deuteronomy, and I believe it's chapter 9 where it makes specific mention of all three of these people, the, uh, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the people from Mount Seir. And God specifically tells them when they're going into the land, the promised land, he says, do not touch them. Do not take their land, leave them alone. This is places I've reserved. Some, some was for Lot, some was for Esau. And God told them to leave them alone. But when you, when, then when you jump forward to where Jehoshaphat is, and these people are ready to come after him and attack him, we're seeing, Jehoshaphat feels like, God, you set me up. You set us up. You told us not to mess with these people and, now, and we obeyed you and now it's coming back to bite us. What's going on? It's almost like they're, you know, if you don't know the character of God and if you don't know this, uh, who he is and what he's doing in this situation, you could feel like God's, he, he's messing with us. You know, why would he do this to us? I thought you're faithful all the time. But Jehoshaphat is not telling God, hey, you're not faithful. He's just, he's kind of speaking it out in his prayer and he's also reminding the people of, of Judah too what's going on here. And, and what we'll see here in a minute is that what God was doing was he was bringing them to the end of their rope because, you know, they had the promise of God, but there were times that if you read, if you study the Old Testament, you know that the children of Israel, they lost quite a few battles. When they would go into battle, there was times they lost, but it was, it was always because of their arrogance or because of sin or because of their lack of seeking the Lord in a situation. They would just kind of move presumptively sometimes and they were just incredibly arrogant at times. And those were the times that they lost. And so what God was doing here was he was bringing them to the end of their rope so that they would have to rely on him. Yeah. 
See, we noticed that Jehoshaphat didn't say, okay, we got these three armies coming against us. We have no idea what we're going to do, but you know, God's promised us we're going to be a great nation. So what we're going to do is we're just going to gird up our loins. We're going to go out there and we're going to kick some rear. He didn't say that. He went to God and said, okay, God, we don't know what to do. You got to help us. And God wanted them to get to that place where they're at the end of their rope. Because I believe that if, if God would have told them to wipe out those three groups when they first came into the land, it would have set them on a path to where they would have turned their back on God. They would not have trusted him because they would have just had, they would have had clear sailing. And how many of you know that sometimes God in our life where we want him to deal with a situation in our life, he doesn't always deal with it the way we want him to. He doesn't remove situations from us all the time. Sometimes he leaves those situations there because he wants us, he wants us to learn how to deal with those situations and still trust him. And so that's what he was doing in this one. So he wants us to come to the end of our rope. The second thing is that he wants to build character in us. Now, I know there's a collective sigh when I read that. Because we don't want character building in our lives, if we're really honest. We want God to just plop the character in us, right? God, just give me patience. You know, you've heard it, I'm sure, a thousand times. You, don't, you never, never pray for patience unless you want God to build patience in you, right? Because he doesn't just all of a sudden hit you with, with his hand and all of a sudden you're patient. What he's going to do, he's going to put you in situations where you can put that patience to practice. And if you have road rage, don't ever pray for patience. I promise you it will not go well for you unless you are prayed up and fasting every time you drive, okay? Uh, but, but God wants to build character in us. He does not just give us the character that we want. The way that, that God has worked it out in our relationship with him is that he takes us from the place where we start and he builds us to get us to where he wants us to be. And the reason he wants to build character in us is because what we know, we've all agreed that we live in seasons. We're all, we all go through seasons. So if he just gives you something, you don't learn how to deal with situations as they come along in your life. And, and in fact, let me, read, let me read a verse to you that, that I'm sure you're going to love. If you, uh, if you love James, you're going to love this. Because James, uh, he, he, did, he did not pull any punches. He told it the way it was. In James 1, 2 through 4, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So does anyone in here just automatically consider it pure joy when you go through hardships and trials of many kinds? I don't, that's not a natural reaction for us as we, as we go through situations. And, and it, as a, a cursory reading of this, you could think, well, James must've just been a, a sadomasochist. You know? He just wants us to enjoy going through hard times. That's not what he's saying here at all. He's saying you can go through the situations in your life with joy because you know that God is producing character in you. He's producing perseverance in your life. Another translation says he's producing patience in your life and he's building it up so that you will become mature and not lacking anything. Now that's a good thing. And, and I'm gonna make a, 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 an argument today or a claim today that I believe is true. The reason God wants to build character in us, one of the main reasons he wants to build character in you and me, and he doesn't just clear the path for us when we get saved. You know, you, uh, there's, there's preaching out there where people will say, if you just get saved, Jesus is gonna make your life great. You're gonna have everything you ever dreamed of. He's just gonna take care of you because he's just a good, good father and he just wants to love you and, and bless you and give you everything you need. And, and he is a good, good father. He's better than anything we could ever imagine. But that's not his, that's not his MO. That's not his, the way that his, the, the true love that comes from God is not to just move everything out of our way and clear the path for us. It's to go with us through those things. And the reason he wants to build that character in us is because Christians with character is what draws the lost to Jesus. 
I want to say it again. Christians with character is what draws the lost to Jesus. You know, whether you embrace it or, or want to admit it or, or really love it, you are Jesus' ambassador to this world. You are his ambassador to the lost people that live on this planet. And the reason we don't go straight to heaven when we get saved is because he wants to use us to, call, to cause other people to come to him and give their heart to him. Amen? And so the, the world, when they see Christians, they, they need to see the character of Jesus in those Christians because you have to have something that they want or they're not gonna want it. I mean, we probably all know people that have ruined the witness of Jesus for somebody that wasn't saved because of their lack of character. How many people, if you go talk to people that have been in church but aren't saved and don't profess to be a Christian and ask them, why don't you follow God? Nine out of 10 of them are gonna say, because I'm tired of the hypocrites or I'm tired of the people that say they love Jesus but don't have the character to back it up. And the opposite is true as well. Most of us got saved because of somebody in our life that, that ministered to us and we saw that they had something we didn't have and we wanted it, amen? And so God's desire is to build character in us. And the way he does that is through the seasons in our life and causing us to persevere and build that up so that we can be not lacking anything. And so that when, we, when the world sees us, they see Jesus. Because that's what he wants. He wants us to, to be used to help draw people to him. And the thing is that, that sometimes when we have situations in our life, you have a season, you, you ask God, you know, you want God to work in that situation. Sometimes he does fix it or he, you know, he, he takes care of it for you. He, help, he does help fight our battles, but it seems like he never does it on our timeline, right? And that's why it's so important for us that we remember that life is about seasons. You know, you're, you're in a season right now that, that it had a beginning and it's gonna have an end. No matter, no matter what it is, it's going to have an end. I talked to three or four or five people after first service, all five of them said pretty much the same thing. Like, man, I'm in a season like that right now too. And you know, my, my, my encouragement to him is, you know what, that's just it though, it is a season. It is going to have an end. This isn't gonna be the rest of your life. And so when we know that we can say, okay, God, rather than just asking him to fix this season for me and, and get rid of it, we can say, God, what are you trying to show me while I'm in this season? Because I know that something like this is probably gonna come up again down the road. Maybe not the exact same thing, but there's going to be trials. Jesus promised us that we're gonna have trouble in this world. He says, he says, in this world, you will have trouble, but you can take heart because I've overcome the world. So he's saying, you're gonna have trouble, but I'll be with you. And so how many times have you said to yourself or heard somebody say, man, I'm glad, whatever season I'm in right now, I'm glad it didn't happen to me five years ago because I would have nutted up and went crazy. I've said it. I've gone, I'm going through something right now that if I went through it 10 years ago, I would have, I don't even wanna think about what would have happened. But it's because God has built my character over these last 10 years to get me to this place where, okay, now when this comes up, I can handle this. I know to turn my eyes on him. I know to look to him and not look to the problem and not look to my own strength to try to resolve the problem, amen? So he wants to build character. In fact, the, uh, a verse that, that one of my favorite in all the Bible is Isaiah 26 and three. It says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust you. Now, the, the word minds there, you could just as easily use the word eyes. You will keep in perfect peace those whose eyes are steadfast. Steadfast, they're fixed on you. They're focused on you. Those, who, those of us, when we keep our eyes on him, he will keep us at perfect peace because we trust him. And that's the, that's the danger with our, with our, when our seasons go, and we have these troubled times in our life. It's just so easy. Our, our default reaction sometimes is just to fixate on that problem and try to figure out how we can fix it. 
Like, what can I do to fix this problem? How can I get past this and get on? If I could just get past this, man, my life would be great. How many times have you caught yourself saying that or thinking that? When really, when you get past this, there's, a, there's another hardship coming. And that's not, that's not a downer. That's not something to discourage us. That's, that's something to tell us, okay, if that's the case, then I wanna be able to work through these situations the way God wants me to. I wanna keep my eyes on him through these situations so that I can get his heart and so that I can see his heart in it and know his love for me and, and the growth that he has for me in it. So thirdly, the third treasure we find at the end of the rope is that God's power begins where we end. God's power begins where we end. I want to go back and let's look at what God did for Jehoshaphat, for the, the people of Judah. We're going to, we jump down to verses 22 and 23. It says, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Now, how crazy is that? I don't know if you caught that or not, but basically there's three armies coming against the people of Judah. Well, while they're on their way, it says the Lord set ambushes against them. I, I researched it as much as I could. Nobody really knows for sure what happened. Some people say that angels were placed down there and they just caused confusion. Whatever it was, something caused the two armies to turn on the third army. And they completely destroyed them. So now we're down to two armies. And I'm sure if Jehoshaphat would have known that, he'd say, okay, well, maybe now we're getting somewhere. But no, it didn't stop there. After they destroyed the third army, the two armies turned on each other. And one army didn't destroy the other. They destroyed each other. So much so that further down in this passage, if you read it, it's a fascinating story. I encourage you to read it. Uh, it's so much so that it says that when the, the people of Judah got to the place where they could see the armies, there was not one man left standing. Not a single one. I don't know how the last person died. That's really odd to me. Uh, unless he was already wounded. He was just able to kill somebody before he died. I don't know. But nevertheless, there was not one person left standing. The Lord totally fought their battle for them. They did not have to lift a sword or lift a hand to do anything to these guys. That's right. Praise God. And what I find very interesting is the very beginning of that verse. If they could put it back up on the screen of chapter verse 22. It says, as they began to sing and praise. There it is. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord said ambushes. It is never a cop out to praise the Lord in the midst of your troubles. One of the most powerful tools the Lord gives us is worship. Now that's, that's sometimes that's singing. Sometimes that's dancing. Depending on how your tradition or, or your, your background, how you were raised, I was raised in a very traditional church. The first time I went in church where they were dancing, I thought there was drunk people in the church and wondered what they were doing in my church. But now that I've been filled with the Holy Spirit for 20 years and I start to worship, it's hard for me not to dance. I just want to dance before the Lord. I'm not dancing because I'm partying. I'm dancing because I get excited about what the Lord's doing and who he is and what he's done in my life. Amen. I encourage you, church, if, if, this, if your background is not what, what we do here on Sunday mornings, just take advantage of it. It's so freeing. God's plan for us is that we are free. We're not here to put on a show. We are here to just worship God. The Bible says David danced before the Lord with all his heart. And uh, I get excited about dancing before the Lord and just partying, I mean, uh, worshiping him. But, but it says that, yeah, 
Freudian slip there, I guess, huh? <laughs> All right, that's it. I'm leaving. Um, no, but, uh, but they, it says they, were, they praised. And it actually, if you read more of it, it says that uh, Jehoshaphat sent the worshipers out in front of the army as they were marching out. And, you know, we see this oftentimes with the children of Israel, that the, the worshipers were out front. You know, when they walked around Jericho, the worshipers were out front. I'm telling you, don't, the, the, the 30 minutes or whatever time we have at the beginning of a church service on Sundays, that is not some token time that we just say, well, we got to have music first and then we're going to have the, then we're going to have the real meat of the service. That's not what it is. The, the worship time is, is so powerful. It's times that, that we actually get to give something back to God. You know, the message time is where you get to receive, but when we worship, we're given to him and that stirs God's heart. When we come to him and we worship and we, we don't just sing, we actually connect, Pastor Steve says all the time, connect your heart with your mouth and with your hands to where we will engage in what we're doing. But, but worshiping, I mean, I, I love to worship when I'm driving down the road in my car. I worship in my bedroom. I worship in my office. Like I just, worship doesn't have to be singing a song or dancing. It can just be just speaking out who he is. I, I speak out who he is all the time. There's times that all I say is, I just say the name of Jesus a thousand times because I don't know what else to say, you know? But just, just telling your, your heart, hey, listen, you're not, gonna, you're not gonna run the show today. My spirit's running the show today and I'm gonna worship him. And I just think it's so fascinating that, that they worshiped and God did, fought the battle for them. And so he is always strong in our weakness. When I'm talking about the power begins where we end, he is strong in our weakness. And we have to get this, church. We have to understand. This goes against everything the world says. This goes against everything our flesh says. This goes against everything except for what the Spirit of God says, is that we can be weak so that he can be strong. For, depending on how you're wired, that can be a very difficult re- revelation for you to get. I, I'm, I'm pretty self-sufficient I, I'm, I'm a self-starter. I like to, I can work hard, get things done. I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm just wired that way. And so when I have seasons in my life that are tough, my, my default reaction is, okay, I got to figure this out. What do I need to do to get from here to here? And, and shamefully, I will admit to you that there are times that it's not until well into this season that I'll finally go, oh man, why didn't I pray about that? You know, I wish my default every time was, let's pray. And, and I, I want to get there, but I'm not there yet. There's times, I mean, we all struggle with that at times. I was talking to someone yesterday that, that's dealing with something uh, physically that they're going through. And this person is a, is a follower of Jesus, loves the Lord with all their heart. And they talked about everything they've done to try to get this situation fixed. And all of a sudden, while they were talking to me, said, you know what, I haven't even prayed about this. And I know this person to love God. And I just appreciated the transparency, you know, because there's times I feel bad about that. You know, I, I've told you guys before, I... I, I get migraines sometimes. And my default reaction when I get a migraine is go straight to my medication, straight to it. And there's nothing wrong with medicine, but I, 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 wanna, I don't want to be that. I want it to be, okay, God, I want to pray. I want you to heal me. I want you to touch me, you know, that that would be our first response, that our eyes are not on the problem and on our fleshly solutions, but our eyes are always fixed on him and what his heart is in a situation. In, in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, this is Paul talking This is after he asked the Lord to remove his thorn from him. He said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Hallelujah. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Let me read that again. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
That's a powerful statement. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships or tough seasons, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I'm telling you today, church, his power is only displayed through our weakness. We too often mistakenly think that we're gonna bring God along with us on our journey. You know, I'm in this tough season. I'm gonna bring God with me. That's, that's not the right perspective. The perspective is God, I don't know what to do. If you don't do it, it's not gonna happen. I need you for the very air that I breathe. I need you to lift me and take me through this situation, walk beside me, walk in front of me and camp around me. He's not, he's not a co-pilot. You know, I see that bumper sticker sometimes. God is my co-pilot. I'm sure their intention was good, but that's not who he is. He's not gonna partner with us to pilot something. He is in control. He's in charge. Amen. There is treasure at the end of our rope. And it's okay to be weak when it comes to our, when it comes to and how we relate to God in our circumstances. Paul was a man's man. I mean, he was pretty amazing, wrote, you know, a lot of the New Testament. And he's saying that when we're weak is when Christ's power is displayed in us. Jehoshaphat was weak. He said, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. God said, thank you. That's what I needed. Turn your eyes to me and I'll show you my power. Amen. Okay. And then I want to finish up with three keys to winning the battles that we face. And I'll give you the three and then I'll elaborate on them. The first one is to know him. The second one is to focus on him. And the third one is to trust him. Okay, and the first one, to know him. It's not enough to turn our eyes to Jesus if we don't know him. Because if we turn to him and we don't know him, we don't know what we're looking at. We don't know who he is. We don't know his character. We don't. So many times Christians get in trouble because we turn to Jesus in a situation, but we don't really know him. We may have got saved, we understand the, the, the gospel story, but we haven't taken the time to study the word and to really understand his character. And so when we get in a situation we don't like, we pray and say, God, fix this situation for me. And he doesn't fix it the way we want. And then what happens? Christians get resentful. They, they get angry at God. They think, oh, this faith thing's nothing. And they leave the church or they leave their faith or, or they might stick around in church, but it's only because they know they really, they really do need him for salvation, but they're not really gonna trust him with their life but it's because we don't know him. If we know him, we know that when we get in a situation, the, the, the prayer is not God save me from this situation. It's God, I know that you're walking with me through this. My eyes are fixed on you. I'm trusting you. Show me what you wanna show me in this situation. I'm weak, you're strong, be strong in my weakness, amen? And so we have to know him. And so uh, I, one thing I thought of was the, a comparison to like, if you're, if you're looking at something, you're trying to read something, but it's in a language you don't know. Okay, it doesn't matter how much you look at it, it's not gonna help you. They're gonna put up a slide that kind of proves my point, okay? There is words there, I know that. And I know Dios is God, but other than that, I don't know that. Well, I know what it says because I'm the one that had, I had Daniel Rodriguez send it to me. So I, I know what it says, but I only know that because of what he says. But if you don't know Spanish, you don't know what that says up there. We have a, we have a large Spanish speaking community in this church. In fact, if you speak Spanish, raise your hand. Yeah, there's, there's quite a few of you here. There's probably 30, 40, 50 in here that, that speak Spanish. We have a wonderful Hispanic community in this church that represents very well. And in fact, we have Miss uh, Mary up there translating today. I hope I'm not talking too fast for her. But uh, other than those people, we don't know what that says. I can tell you that that's actually John 3.16. At least that's what I was told. Is that right, Eric? 
Is that John 3.16? Yes. Okay, good. Daniel could have been playing a prank on me and I wouldn't have known it. So, um, But if I, if I turn my eyes to that and I fix my eyes on that, it doesn't help me. I could stare at that for three weeks and it would not help me in any way in life because I don't know what it is. So we can't fix our eyes on something we don't know and expect it to help us. So if you're going to fix your eyes on Jesus, it's so important that we know him. And I don't mean know like you're just in like, yeah, he's my buddy. I, I got saved. I know him. I mean the know that where, where Paul talks about that, that he basically resents all things apart from knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's a very intimate knowing. It's knowing him in a way that like it's all consuming. It's a very intimate knowledge of Jesus. It's, a, it's the word, we've, I've shared this before. It's the same word that was used when it talks in Genesis about Adam knowing Eve and they conceived a child. So you can deduce from that what, what that knowing means. It's a very, very intimate knowing. And if we don't know his character and we get in seasons in our life that we don't like and we don't understand, then we, can't, we approach it the wrong way. We get frustrated with God when really God's just acting according to his character. But we don't know it because we don't know him. So if we're going to turn our eyes to him, we have to make sure we are investing in our relationship with him when times are good and not just when times are bad. And if, if you're someone, if you're in this room today and you don't know Jesus at all, if you're here and you're not, you wouldn't say that you're a Christian, you wouldn't say that you're saved, you've never given your heart or your life to Jesus, you've never trusted him for salvation, I just want to encourage you today that you're here because God brought you here. Whether you know it or not, you're here because God brought you into this room today and he wants you to know that he loves you and that he died for you and that he bridged the gap between you and God about 2,000 years ago when he came and died on a cross. Because see, we all were born sinful. Every one of us is born sinful and there's no one in this room is better than anybody else. The only difference, the, the gateway to heaven is going through Jesus and what he did for us. So I just wanna encourage you today that he is the most loving person you will you've ever meet and if you get to know him you will see that he really is a good father and that he died for you and for me and for all of us so that we can have eternal life so that we can have a relationship back with God from what was broken so many years ago amen so if you if you just turn your eyes to Jesus but you don't really know him it's not going to be helpful to you and I want to encourage you today that get to know him whether you've been saved for 20 years or 10 minutes get to know our Lord, understand his character and who he is and what he wants from us and what his desire is in our life. And it'll help you when you come into these situations. The, uh, the next one is to focus on him. Where is your focus? Hebrews 12, two, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now this word fix here at the very beginning, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Some versions say, let us look onto, unto Jesus. That word in the ancient Greek, there is no word in the English for it. So they, they translate it to be fixed or look. But what that word means in the ancient Greek, it means so much more than to just look. It, is, it, it means to intentionally and deliberately not focus on the other things. It's, not, it's saying basically there will be other things, but purpose in your heart, you will not focus on those things. Instead, fix your eyes on Jesus because he is the author. He's the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that can sustain us 
through our situations. It sounds, it's so, it can become so cliche to say, fix your eyes on Jesus, but there's so much strength, there's so much power, there's so much wisdom in that, in just fixing your eyes on him. It doesn't necessarily change your situation immediately. What it does is it gives you perspective in the midst of your situation. Uh, let's see, last night, uh, no, Friday night, Joy and I went and visited um, Mr. Cleveland Gilliard. Um, many of you know him. He's a wonderful man in this church, been here for, for years. And uh, he was in a car accident this past week. Uh, a drunk driver hit him and uh, broke his hip, was fractured. And he has had a very, very difficult week. Uh, the, the first x-rays they took didn't show the fracture. So they didn't think he was really hurt. So they were trying to send him home and he couldn't even stand up. And uh, if his wife hadn't been there to fight for him, they probably would have sent him home. Uh, they finally did admit him. He's in the hospital, but he is in a lot of pain right now. And we went and saw him to pray for him. And uh, he sat there and he was grimacing the whole time we were standing there with him. And he said, he, uh, he looked at me and he said, you know, I'm just praising the Lord in the midst of this. He said, I, I was reminded of what the Bible says that we are to give thanks in all circumstances. He says, that's what I've been doing. I've been giving thanks in the midst of this circumstance. That's a guy that knows the character of God. That's a guy that understands Jesus' heart for him. Of course he wants him to be healed. You know, I'm sure he's prayed for healing. God, heal this thing. I'm tired of this. And he doesn't understand why he's going through it necessarily, but he knows enough about the character of God. He, know, he has a relationship enough with Jesus to know that I'm not gonna sit here and whine and moan. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna study, I'm gonna adhere to what the word of God says. I'm gonna give him thanks in this situation because I know it's, he's using it for my good. If I will trust him, he's gonna use it for my good because I love him and I am called according to his purpose. And it encouraged me so much to go visit him because a lot of us would be, I, I would have probably been laying there just complaining, you know? And he was with, with grimacing looks on his face. He's saying, he's saying, I'm giving thanks to God in the midst of this. I'm thanking God. I'm worshiping God. And they, they were just so, I mean, if nothing else, they encouraged me and the Lord used that to encourage me and my wife. So I'm so thankful for people like him that his focus was not on the problem. His focus is on Jesus. He's got his eyes on Jesus, even though he's in a lot of pain right now. And that's what God's heart for us is that we would focus on him. And see, we are, you know, if, if, if you've been around here, you know, Pastor Mo mentions it a good bit that we are a three-part being, each and every one of us. We are a spirit and we have a soul and we live in a body. Okay, there's three parts to us. You got the body, the soul, which is the mind and the emotions and the spirit. And if you know anything about this, you know that two thirds of us doesn't want anything to do with God. It really doesn't. It wants itself. It wants what it wants. My body wants to be uh, not hungry. It wants to be rested. It wants to be comfortable, not in pain. It wants what it wants. My soul is the same way. My soul wants to be comfortable. My soul, my emotions, I want to feel good. I want to be happy. I don't, I don't look for reasons to be upset or angry or hurt. You know, it doesn't want that. It wants what it wants. The only part of us that wants what God wants is our spirit. And so it's so important that we are feeding our spirit more than we're feeding our, our body and our soul. Amen. Because that's the only part of us that actually wants what God wants. It's the only part that wants to focus on God. And one of the biggest ploys of the enemy is that we would be distracted and focused on other things, focused on what we want. The enemy is real. He hates you and me. And he would like nothing more than to distract us from what God has for us. It's absolutely one of his biggest 
tools that he uses against us. We always think of him as wanting to kill us and destroy us and, and steal from us. And he does want to do those things. But what, the, what he does that's much more subtle is to come at us with distractions. And if you don't believe me, j- just commit. If you haven't done this, commit to, uh, to getting with the Lord every day in the morning and reading the word and studying his word and spending time praying and see how many distractions come your way. The enemy will constantly throw distractions at you. Uh, try preparing a sermon and see how many distractions come your way. It's, it's laughable. I, I watched a webinar this week from a big company on how to pre- on just uh, helpful keys to preparing a sermon. And the first thing he says is, you lock the door to your office, you take your phone and you chuck it outside or do something with it to where it cannot distract you. And you call your wife and you tell her, unless it's an emergency, don't call me for the next few hours. And you do it because, because everybody that's prepared a sermon knows there is going to be 10,000 distractions coming your way because that's exactly what the enemy wants. So we have to purpose in our heart to stay focused. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus so that we can focus on him and weed out the distractions in our life. Uh, you know, Peter, you know the story of Peter getting out of the boat. When, when Jesus walked on the water, the disciples were in the boat and they saw Jesus, they thought, thought it was a ghost. And Jesus said, no, don't worry, it's me. And Peter said, if it's you, then tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, okay, come. And Peter gets out of the boat, starts walking to Jesus. He's walking on water. And it says that all of a sudden he got scared because he noticed the wind and he started to sink. Now that is a classic case of focus. The wind didn't change when he, it doesn't say that all of a sudden when he got out of the boat, the wind's kicked up. The wind was there the whole time. The waves are going the whole time. But he was focused on Jesus. And when Jesus said, come, he stepped out. He was focused on him. He came out, he was doing fine. And all of a sudden it says that he got distracted. Oh my goodness, look at the wind. And next thing you know, he started to sink. And that's what we do. That's what, exactly what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to get focused on the other things. Even though those things are always there, if we will fix our eyes on Jesus, remember the uh, audio adrenaline song, if I, if I keep my eyes on Jesus, I can walk on water. I've tried that, it doesn't work. But the analogy is true, right? Fix our eyes on him. Don't worry about the wind and the waves. Uh, and then the last one is, the last key to fighting the battle is to trust him. We have to trust our God in the situations we're in, in our seasons in life. If we don't trust him, we can, we can look to him all day long. If we, don't, if we don't trust what we see, it's not helpful to us. But he is trustworthy, amen? He is faithful always, always, always. He has never forsaken anyone in the history of the world. There's a verse in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. This is Paul. He talks about what he's gone through in his ministry. He says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul's basically saying here that we can trust him because even though we may get hard pressed on every side, he's saying, you know, you get, you get squeezed in, you may get squeezed, but we know that God will not allow us to get crushed. So if you're looking, if you're at a season in life where you feel like you're getting squeezed, you may not be comfortable in that squeeze, but you know that you will not be crushed because God is faithful. You can trust him. And if we can go through the seasons in our life, trusting him, that is what James is talking about, about considering it pure joy when you face trials. It's not that we're excited that we're in trials. It's not that we're, you know, skipping along saying, woohoo, I got another hard thing to go through. But we can be, we can have joy in those situations because we trust him and we can trust that it is a season, that it's going to end and we're going to be better for it in the end. And so he says, we're hard pressed, but we're not crushed. 
perplexed, but not in despair. Okay, perplexed, you know, you may be confused. You know, there's nothing wrong as a Christian that loves Jesus to admit that you're confused and you don't know what he's doing in your life. And you don't understand why things are happening in your life. To say, I don't understand this. Jehoshaphat did that. He said, I don't, he basically said, I don't get this. God, you told us not to touch these three people groups when we came in here. And now this is how they're rewarding us. That's a man that was confused. And he was crying out to God. It's okay to be confused and to be real with God about your confusion and about your, your uncertainty about what's going on. But God, and, and God will allow that to happen in our lives, but he will not put us in despair. Despair is never from God. And we can trust him in that. That if we're, if we're in despair, that means we, we've taken it to the next level ourselves. And then it says persecuted, but not abandoned. You know, you may be persecuted in life. But we can trust God through any persecution we receive. You know, the church in the U.S. Uh, is, is definitely getting persecuted to some degree. There's no doubt about it. Uh, these things are happening that I never thought would happen in my lifetime. But they're, they're happening. And it's, who knows, it may get worse. I don't know. There may be days where persecution among Christians may become very real here in the U.S. But you know what? We can trust God in that. Because it says here, if we're persecuted, we're not abandoned. So he's with us in the midst of the persecution. And frankly, you may think I'm crazy for saying this, but I don't think persecution in the church is always a bad thing. I think it wakes us up sometimes. Amen? It, it causes us to know why we believe what we believe. You know? Everywhere in the world, the church is persecuted, it grows. Did you know that? Everywhere it's persecuted, the church grows. It, they're, not, they're never, ever going to squash out Christianity in this world. Right. Never. It'll continue to grow. Amen. <laughs> and then lastly, he says, struck down but not destroyed. And I'm going to ask Steve and the band to come as I close. Struck down but not destroyed. You know, that, that's what the enemy wants. He wants to strike us down. No matter what the world does to us, they cannot destroy us. We can trust God. Even if we're struck down, we can trust God and know that he's with us and he's going to walk through this whole thing with us. Amen. And I want to encourage you in that today, church. I know lots and lots of us. Some of you may be in a good season right now and you're listening to this going, yeah, that's, that's good, but it doesn't really pertain to me today. Well, praise God, it doesn't pertain to you today. It, it will one day. And I don't say that to scare you because trials and tribulations aren't something to be afraid of. You know, if we really understand God and we really understand his heart, we can know that, that he's going to use those situations for our good and for his glory in our lives. But if you are going through a tough season right now, if you do feel like, man, I'm, like, I'm at the end of my rope, then I want to ask you again today, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? What are you fixating on? What are you focusing on in your life? You know, the tendency for us as humans is even when we, you know, if we serve God and we love God, the tendency sometimes when things get hard, we go through a tough season, it can be a tendency to almost neglect really pressing into the Lord. We get so consumed with what's going on I find myself doing this and even saying this in my head, God, I don't have time to pray today because I got too much going on that I need to deal with, which is utterly ridiculous. But that is, that's kind of where our mind can go at times. That's the distraction that the enemy wants to bring in us. And the situations in our life, the enemy wants them to distract us. The Lord wants to use them to build us and to build our character. So I want, I'd like for you to stand with me today, if you would, please, as we close. We're going to, we're going to sing one song, just kind of reiterating the point of God being with us and helping us in our battles and the importance of keeping our eyes on him. If this, if this has resonated with you, while we sing this song, I'd like for you to come to the altar here to the center. And when we're done singing, I want to, I want to pray over you today because I believe that, 
that God can give you the revelation you need today to be able to turn your eyes to him. Or maybe you just need, to, just need an adjustment. Maybe you already know that that's what you need and you just need to, you just need to uh, take a stand. You just need to respond and say, God, I'm gonna choose today to keep my eyes fixed on you during this time. There'll be times where you're tempted to take matters into your own hands. There's times you feel like your faith, you're at the end of your rope with your faith. Like almost like, God, I need you to show up or I'm not, I don't know what, how I'm gonna be able to keep going on in my faith. You may feel like you're hopeless. There's no hope left in the situation you're in. But I'm telling you today that those places, that's where God wants you. When, when he's got you there, he's got you exactly where he wants you. As long as you will say, okay, I don't know what to do. I'm hopeless, but I'm turning my eyes to you. I'm looking to you, God. And that's what his heart for each and every one of us. So as we sing this, I'm gonna ask you to come and then we'll pray.